All right, good morning, guys. Let's try that again. Good morning, guys. Thank you. Much better. All right. It helps me with a little enthusiasm to start with, right? Um, You guys, my name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning as we continue our Invitation of More sermon series. Uh, Before we jump in, though, I want to give you an update. Last week, we had kind of a unique opportunity for our church to partner together um, and and move out in the generosity of, of the call of the gospel, right? We had a Compassion International Sunday. Now, last Sunday, we were looking at the third G of the three Gs, which is growth, and we were talking specifically about growth in generosity. And, um, and, and at the end of the sermon, I, I gave you all a, a chance to respond. Um, here's the thing. We had over 70 children um, waiting to be sponsored, right? We had over 70 packets sitting out there. I had no idea what was a realistic goal. Um, I was praying that we would get 50 kids sponsored last Sunday. I thought that was a pretty aggressive goal. Um, And by the time the weekend was over, uh, the Sunday was over, they were all gone. Um, Every kid was sponsored. Um, And that's incredible. Um, All of these kids come from a very specific neighborhood in the capital of Honduras. It's an area that is plagued by poverty where kids are trapped um, with, with very limited options in life because of that poverty. And, and as we partner together as a community to invest our money in their lives, um, we're talking about making a huge impact, a multi-generational impact in, in the lives of these children and, and what God can and will do through them. Um, and what's so cool about this is I love that it's a trailhead thing, right? It's not like we are all in it together. We're all sponsoring kids from the same area. We're all praying for the same neighborhood. We're all writing letters to the, to the same area. And, um, and we're already like I'm, I'm having some conversations and we're starting to, to map out what it looks like to, to get a, an opportunity for I don't know how many, but, but hopefully a group of our people to go down and meet those kids, uh, maybe in a year or a year and a half, but, but a chance to go down and, and, uh, and actually visit those kids, get to know that community, and even discover other ways that we can grow in generosity. Um, we just feel like God has, has opened this door and, and planted our hearts there. And so uh, it's an incredible thing to think of our, our little church having such a, a big impact um, over there. Here's the thing, I, I got a lot of emails this week uh, as people were listening to the sermon over the course of the week and, and saying, hey, Steve, I wasn't there on Sunday, and I missed the opportunity to, to sponsor a child, and, and I really want to be in the club, man. I want to I be part of that group. It's a, it's a really cool thing, right, because I want to be part of what this community is doing. And, and so um, we, we did talk to our Compassion International uh, representative, and, and he sent over uh, a handful of packets of kids um, that, that we were going to make available at Connection Point. You can visit there um, if you want to be part of this effort. I would love for you to be, because you're going to be helping us invest in this community. And as we do that, you're going to grow. You're going to grow as you move into generosity. You're, you're going to grow in your experience of grace. And so I'm jealous for this for you to join with us in the outpouring of this generosity. Um, and so here's the thing. Those packets, I'm guessing, would move very quickly. Um, 
But we do have a list, and, and so if you put your name on the list, what we're going to do is contact our, our, our Compassion International representative and say, this is the number of children we want to sponsor. The reason I think it's important we do that is, is remember, every packet represents a specific child, and, and every child gets one sponsor. It is a one-to-one -one relationship that allows us to, to pray for that child, invest in that child, write letters to that child, um, and, and, and really just invest ourselves that way. The challenge is if he just sends over a big pile of packets and we hope that we're going to sponsor all those kids, all the packets that aren't taken are kids that are not eligible to be sponsored elsewhere, right? Those, those kids are kind of locked up in the process, and I don't want to do that. And so if you want to sponsor, the way we're going to move forward with this now is I'm going to ask you to go to Connection Point, uh, put your name on the list, okay? And, and what we will do is, is we will then contact um, Compassion International, and, and there are more kids in that region, in that neighborhood, um, that are waiting for sponsors, and we will do that. So just to kind of give you a glimpse of what happened last weekend, man, this kind of floored me as I was, it was a whirlwind last weekend, man, it was, it was chaos, it was awesome, I love chaos, and, 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 and I was, my mind was clearing, especially on Monday, because Sunday's a mess in my brain, but, but Monday things are clearing, and I'm thinking about what's going on, and I'm like, holy cow, we just, like, we're going to, like, all these kids in this one neighborhood, and I'm looking on Google Earth, you know, and I'm looking at the neighborhood, and I'm looking where these kids live, and I'm like, I'm like literally in tears, like, like the amount of generosity we just committed. Trailhead Church in one Sunday committed to invest almost $35,000 a year in that neighborhood, that little neighborhood in Honduras. To, to bless those children, to bless that community, to share the love of Christ in, in word and in deed. That is an incredible outpouring of generosity. And as I looked at that and I thought about that, man, I was wrecked. It was like a, it was a new experience of grace for me, right? It like just brought me back to the grace of God. It renewed my gratitude. Um, and so I want to thank you for partnering with me in this. I want to thank you for the outpouring of generosity. Um, and, uh, and I want you just to be in awe with me and give thanks because it's incredible what we can do as a community as we respond to the invitation to more, as we move out in generosity, right? It just, it just magnifies the impact each one of us individually can have as we become a body doing it together. So you guys, great news. Um, I'm incredibly excited about the opportunities that God is going to continue to open up for us to move out in love because it's going to bless this community, but I am convinced it's going to bless us as well. As grace moves through us to bless them, we will be blessed. All right, we're going over to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, flip over there. If you don't have a Bible, look on the chairs around you. We have them distributed throughout the room. Grab one of those. And, and in our Bible, over to page 910, page 910 in our Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please take that with you. Uh, we would love for that Bible to be our gift to you to help you read and engage the Word of God over the course of the week. If you have one of our study booklets, we're going to begin on the page we left off on last week, the, the Growth Zone page. If you don't have a booklet, don't worry about it. You can take notes on your bulletin. You don't have to have a booklet. Um, but if you want one, like if this grabs you and you're like, man, I want to know more about this 3G thing that we're going to be hearing about today, uh, you can get a booklet at Connection Point. We had more printed up, and, uh, and all of our previous sermons are available on our website. So you can go back uh, on our website, and, and you can listen to the previous sermons um, so that you can be uh, brought up to date on, on what we're talking about. All right, so we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 through 47, follow along with me. Actually, you know what? Let's start in verse 41. 
So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the early church. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys, um, we have spent the last six weeks unpacking uh, this, this 3G model of growth, this model of personal transformation, right? And so just to remind you, the three Gs, very simple. God initiates with grace, right? God moves toward us in grace. We respond in faith, which allows us then to have this new experience called gratitude instead of entitlement. We suddenly have this incredible gratitude where we're, we're humbled by the gift and we take joy in the giver and we experience gratitude, which then propels us out in faith into growth, right? Into this area of discomfort where we submit and, 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 and we submit in the areas of discomfort and we actually experience growth, right? And so that lower chart down there, we, we move from the comfort zone and purposely move ourselves up into the growth zone, which is an area of discomfort, Um, but that's where we grow. So it is a very simple model. I think that's part of its power, at least I I hope it is, right? And it's all driven by grace. I'm going to keep bringing it back around to this. You, You guys, the phrase that's been coming back to me as I've been wrestling with this is this idea of a disruptive experience of grace, because that's where it all starts, right? That's where it, that's where it, all starts. Grace breaks in, in a way that takes us off guard. We're loved in a way that we didn't expect to be loved. We're, we're given acceptance in a way that we didn't think we deserved. We're, 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 we're not getting what we deserved. Instead, we give, get mercy. We're given what we don't deserve. We're given grace, and, 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 and it's disruptive. It surprises us, right? It is a disruptive experience of grace, and, and it disrupts the, 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 the self-focus, the self-obsession, the, the work, the shame, the guilt, it, it comes in and, and, and it disrupts us. And, and what it does is it calls us to respond in faith. Each of these arrows in this model represent growth in faith. So God sends Jesus to, to step into our justice, to take our, our, the guilt of our sin, the shame of our failure, and God's justice is met with God's mercy on the cross as he, be, he becomes our substitute in judgment and our hero in, in, in the resurrection. And out of that flows grace. And, and then what God calls us to do is respond in faith. Faith it very simply means we're supposed to trust him. Instead of trusting our own self-salvation projects, we, we trust God's salvation project. And instead of trusting the things that we think make us right, we, we trust what God has given to make us right. Instead of trusting what we think is going to deliver us into the fullness of life, we trust what God has given to deliver us into the fullness of life. We we trust because God initiates with grace. We respond 
in faith. We respond in trust, and that trust awakens within us an experience of gratitude. This gratitude, this sudden feeling of, man, I am loved, and this warmth of response of love, right? It's where humility and joy come together, and the outgrowth of it is just this this overwhelming sense of, of gratitude. I have been given what I don't deserve. I have been honored in ways that I could never earn. Grace awakened within me a responding love that expresses itself in gratitude. And that gratitude then pushes us out in faith. That gratitude strengthens our faith and pushes us out in faith because now we trust the God who loved us so much, we move into these areas of discomfort. Right? We move into these areas where, where we can submit to God in areas of discomfort because we trust Him more than we trust ourselves. We trust that His plan is better than our plan. <coughs> so we move into obedience. Right? We move into generosity. And as we move into these things, we find kind of the limit of our own strength. We, when we're in areas of discomfort, man, it reminds us of how helpless we are, and that, that pushes us back into grace. Right? It pushes us back into being loved. This We need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to be for us what nothing else can be. And that grace awakens gratitude. This is our discipleship model, you guys. This is the heart of who we are as Trailhead Church. This, this model is, is uh, I think, a simple version of where we've been trying to push ourselves and grow and, 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 and clarify um, as a church. You know, this is how you become a believer. The disruptive grace of God comes in and, and says, hey, man, that self-salvation project, that thing you're working on so hard to make yourself right, to atone for your guilt, to cover your shame, it's not going to work, but I'll do it for you. Jesus is your hero. I sent him to take your place, to take your penalty, to rise again for you, right? That, that's how you become a believer. The disruptive grace of God breaks in and we believe. We trust him. Right? We lean into what God has done for us instead of leaning into what we do for ourselves. That's how we become believers. And this is how we grow as believers. It is the only way we grow as believers. To keep leaning into that love. To keep leaning into that grace. God initiates toward us and then asks us to respond. And it is in responding that we grow. You know, we started Trailhead Church about six and a half years ago. This January will be our seventh anniversary. And when I started the church, and, and really ever since, people will ask as they hear about Trailhead Church, and they're like, man, what is this thing? Why, what, what is this Trailhead Church? What kind of church are you? And, and, and I'll get di- it phrased different ways, but people will be like, hey, are you, are you like one of those attractional churches? You know, where you try to have a big attractive service, smoke machines, laser lights, you know, skinny jeans. Um, and I'm like, no, but kind of, yeah. I mean, it's not like we want to be ugly, right? Skinny jeans are ugly. Um, but for me... <laughs> You don't want to see me. Um, but, you know, we don't do the laser lights and smoke machines, but we try to make it attractive, right? We try to make it attractive. Well, are you a worship church? Like, like all about the worship experience and all about the music and, and, and all about the, the, the choir and the band and the experience. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, no. Like we are, man. We want people worshiping. We take our worship very seriously, right? We, 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 we really invest in our team. We try to put together an experience that helps people just move into, right? But that's, that, no. Are you a mission church? Are you all about moving out and blessing people in the world? Are you all about blessing people in your neighborhoods and doing good? Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, we are, but no, that's, that's no. Well, are you a deep truth church? Are you all about opening the word of God and digging into the deep truths and getting people wrestling with the Bible? 
Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but no, right? The answer for each one is yes and no. Why? Because none of those are the goal. We are a discipleship church. We are a, we are a church that is passionate about growing in grace, which means all of those things are important. All of those things are important. But our goal isn't to get more knowledge. Our goal isn't to just do good. Our, our goal isn't just to have a transcendent worship experience. Our goal is to grow in grace. That's what, trail, that's what my dream for Trailhead is, is that we would be a place where people are transformed, where lives are changed, where we grow into the incredible invitation to more that is the gospel. And I believe this, honestly, is really the only choice because Jesus himself told us what the church is supposed to be about, right? At the end of Matthew 28, when Jesus has already been raised from the dead, he's getting ready to leave, right? He's going to ascend into heaven, Acts chapter 1, um, where where, where he's going to be like, hey, y'all, I'm going to give you some marching orders. Go out and be my witnesses to the world. In in Matthew 28, right before that, he meets with the disciples, and and he says, hey, you guys, this is important. And and so I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 28, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A really strange statement for Jesus to make, right? Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, <laughs> the Son of God, the Son of Man, right? What does that mean, all authority has been given in heaven? It means that, that because he's been raised from the dead, because he was our hero Savior, he now has the power to forgive sin. He now has the power to, to, to impute to us his very righteousness. He can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, even of sinners like me, right? He has authority in heaven, and he has authority on earth. He's the Son of Man. He is, he is man as man was meant to be. He is earth's true king, right? This is his kingdom. This is his world. And he's going to leave for a little while and entrust to the church the message of victory, the message of the gospel, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, man, he's establishing his kingdom. That's our hope. This is not all there is. There's something really good coming, right? Because, because Jesus is the Son of Man who raised from the dead. He is the King of the world. All authority has been given on heaven and on earth. To me, right? That's what Jesus is saying. So, so while I go, this is important. This is what I want you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Literally, what it, what it says there is, as you are going... As you are living your life, as you are moving through life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? He says, I want you to go out and disciple lost people to draw near, people that are far from me to draw near. Disciple unbelievers with the gospel, so that they hear the incredible invitation of the gospel, and they become believers, right? And then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? This great renaming celebration. They are no longer who they were. They are now who I've declared them to be. And then keep discipling them so that they can observe all that I've commanded you. They can continue to grow. Essentially, you guys, this is, this is, how, this is Steve's way of saying it. He's saying, be disciples who make disciples, Keep growing in grace. Help others grow in grace. Keep digging deep into this incredible power of grace. And as you're digging deep and experiencing the power of grace, help others dig deep and grow in grace. That's why you're here. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. 
because he left us to be a discipleship community that would be to his glory and a witness to the world. That's the purpose of our lives. A hundred years from now, that's what's going to matter. We are a discipleship church, discipling those who are far from God to help them draw near, discipling those who are near to God, including ourselves, to grow in the grace that God has given us. So last week, last week, when, when I was unpacking the third G about growth and talking about generosity, I had two goals. I, I wanted us to, to generously bless these kids, right? I wanted us to generously bless these kids, to, to move in with a measure of generosity that would give them options in this life they would not have without it, right? That they were trapped in poverty with limited access and, and to just bless them with education and basic needs and, and, and some hope, right? And secondly, secondly, not just to bless the kids, but I wanted us to grow in faith. I wanted us to grow in generosity, right? Because it's in giving grace that we grow in grace. And so I wanted us to grow. And that required us to submit to God, even though we knew it was going to cause discomfort, because all generosity costs us something, doesn't it? If it's truly, if it's true generosity, if you're just giving away what you don't need and you won't notice, that's not generosity. That's charity. Generosity is when you give away what you're going to miss. And I know for most of us, the commitment to sponsor a child last week was going to be generous. It was going to pinch a little bit, right? Because many of you have already committed to giving to the church to help fund the ministry of the local church so that we can continue to grow and influence and impact in the local community so that people around here can be blessed with the gospel. You're already giving to the church, and then you're like, yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and give to to this sponsorship too. I'm going to give money so that this child can be blessed, right? And and, and, and in doing that, that generosity is, is, is beautiful, but it's going to pinch. The week before, when I was talking about growth, I wasn't talking about generosity, I was talking about obedience. Right? I was encouraging you to, to walk away, to, to, to walk away from, from a sin that may be in your life that you're looking to to do for you what only God can do, to be for you what only God can be, right? Uh, something you know God doesn't approve of, something you know shouldn't be in your life, but it's there anyway because you find some comfort in it, or it helps you numb you in some way, or it gives you some pleasure, you think. And, and, and I encourage you, man, trust God more than you trust yourself. Trust God more than you trust your own choices, right? Walk away. Like, at least admit it and bring it to God and say, man, I, Lord, I want to walk away. I encourage you to walk away from your self-righteousness. Those areas where you are building up your boasting before God and before man. You know, that that resume you slide across the table, the the thing that you want people to know about you, that thing that makes you important or valuable or lovable or significant, right? When we're building a righteousness that competes with God's righteousness, right? God calls us not just to repent of the bad things we do, but the good things we do for the wrong reasons, God doesn't want us trying to establish our own righteousness that competes with His, our own glory that competes with His. It keeps Both of those keep us from trusting Him and leaning into Him and finding our life in Him and, and, and feasting on grace, right? And so all of those, generosity, repentance, it moves us from our comfort zone into our growth zone. Remember that last week? This, this area down here is our, our comfort zone. And, and when we obey, it pushes us up into this area of discomfort right? Where we, uh, all right. Well, you push up into this area of discomfort. Are we dead or is it? We're disconnected. That's all right. I'll use my hands. Comfort zone. Visualize, right? 
Up here, growth zone, right? And we talked about that last week, that God will, will ask us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone, right? And, and by faith, man, because we trust God, we push up in and, and, we, and we move up there. Here's the thing, you guys. I want to tell you what to expect when you move up here. Because some of you took a step of faith and, and, and you're like, man, I'm going to move into the growth zone. I'm going to do that. But, but I want to tell you what to expect because I've been exhorting us and encouraging us to move into this discomfort, submitting to God. And, and some, of you, some of you have moved boldly into that zone. You, you, you made a choice to sponsor a child even though you knew it was going to cause a significant disruption to your personal budget. It was going to cost you something, right? It was going to, it was going to pinch. It was going to be hard. You're giving money to the church. You're giving money to this child. And, and here's what I need you to know. When you move into the growth zone, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. See, it's hard to move into this zone because we know it's going to be uncomfortable. What you need to know is it's going to be hard to stay in that zone, right? God doesn't immediately adjust your comfort zone to fit your choices. Just because you move by faith up into the discomfort, the area of discomfort up here, don't expect God to suddenly make it easy because He's not going to do that. It's going to be incredibly uncomfortable, it's hard to get there, and then once you're there, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And that hurt that you feel, that's growth pain, right? Because God has to grow your comfort zone. He doesn't just miraculously move it. He grows it, and that often hurts. In fact, sometimes it's even going to feel like death. There are going to be times when you are fighting to obey God, to submit in an area of discomfort, and it is going to feel like you are walking into a hurricane, and everything is trying to pull you back into this experience of comfort. That is the very moment, by faith, you need to lean into God's faithfulness, right? Some of you responded to, to my call, and, and you've made hard choices to repent of sin and, or, or, or to repent of righteousness. You need to know there are going to come moments where everything in you is going to want to run back to it. Everything in you is going to crave that comfort, and, 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 and there's going to be a little deceitful voice in the back of your head, man, wouldn't, wouldn't life just be good if you could go back and make it easy? Wouldn't it just feel good if you could go back? And wouldn't it, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, right? Let me ask you something. When you make these choices and, and you push into this area of discomfort and everything is trying to push you back um, into the area of, of comfort, what do you do? How do you stay resolved to obey in the face of discomfort? How do you resist the internal temptation to yield and go back to, to what was comfortable, what was easy, what was, you know, so seductively, you know, just numbing? And what, what? I'll tell you what you're tempted to do. You're tempted to white-knuckle it. You know what I mean by that, white-knuckling? means you're holding on so hard, your knuckles turn white, right? You're like, like, I will do this, right? I will, I will obey God. I will not go back to that sin, right? I will not go back to that righteousness, right? In that moment when, when, when you desperately want the attention and recognition for what you've done, and people are overlooking you, and you desperately want to slide your resume across the table, notice me, give me credit, Make me feel good about me. And you're like, no, that's a competing glory to God. I won't do it, right? 
I, I will not go back to that sin, that sin that is so enslaving, right? I will keep giving money even though, even though I've got a bill I've got to pay. How long can you do that? Some people can do it a little longer than others, but everyone's going to fail eventually. I don't care how strong you are. If I leave you hanging by a trapeze, you're eventually going to fall, right? And when you succeed, you're going to feel prideful about yourself. And when you fail, you're going to feel shame about yourself. That's worldliness, guys. That's not how we do it. I told you a thousand times, I'm going to tell you a thousand times more because I need to hear it and you need to hear it. The only way we grow in the Christian life is responding to the initiation of God. The only way we grow in the Christian life is when we respond to the love of God. When we are being tested in our resolve, when we are being pushed in that realm of discomfort, it is not an issue of self-control. The question is, will you go back and re-encounter the grace of God? Will you go back once again and allow the disruptive grace of God to come in and reawaken your heart to how much you are loved? What God has paid to redeem you and restore you, to make you his child, the future that he has given you, that your greatest blessing has already been given and your greatest debt has already been paid. Will you allow the disruptive grace of God to meet you at that place of discomfort and reawaken within you a faith and a gratitude that enables you to stay submissive in the face of discomfort. Listen to me. The only way you're going to make it, the only way, is to have a renewed experience of the grace of God. It is not your work for God. It is learning to respond to God's work for you. It is leaning into what Christ has done for you and earned for you and how He has loved you. That's why we say over and over and over again, it's grace. It's all by grace. That's how we grow. That's how we we stay. So I want you to be prepared because you're going to be tested. As you move into this zone of discomfort, you will be tested. And and you're going to have to, by faith, lean back into His faithfulness. Right? When when you are tempted because there's a crisis in your finances and you're like, man, I, I submitted this money to God but now it feels like I need to pay these bills, so I'll just stop giving money where I think God told me to, and I'm going to take care of myself, and I'm going to pay these bills. If you're operating in submission, by faith, you push into God's faithfulness. Lord, I I submitted this to you. I need you to meet my needs, right? When, When you have walked away from an area of sin in your life, And then stressors come in and everything in you is raging that the only thing that will give you comfort is to go back to that sin. That's when you need a renewed experience of the grace of God. Walked away from an area of self-righteousness and everything in you is tempted to push out your resume, to establish your own glory, to get your own recognition because you hate being ignored or overlooked. In that moment, the only thing that's going to give you the strength to take that humble place is a renewed experience of the grace of God. This is the path of, Christian, of growth in the Christian life. It is the only path of growth in the Christian life. It is the path to increase joy and freedom and power, humility and dignity. All right, so in your, uh, in your books, uh, flip ahead a couple pages over to what's called the growth zone two there. 
Because I'm going to show you this in a little bit different way. These three G's, the, the, the grace, the gratitude, the growth. Um, the grace of God is, is the force that keeps the whole thing moving. It is the dynamic force that starts the whole thing and, and keeps it going. We keep running back to grace over and over and over again. But listen, we're most engaged in what God is doing in and around us. We are most alive. We are most powerful in our Christian life when we're experiencing all three G's at the same time, when, when we are deeply and profoundly aware of how loved we are by God, when, when we are rooted in a profound humility and joy that is flowing out of us in gratitude, when, when we are being stretched out of our comfort zone into the growth zone, when we have all three of these things happening at once, right, right here in this tiny little space in the middle. See how tiny it is? Right there, right? It's tiny, but that's it, man. When we're right there, we are challenged, we are encouraged, and we are energized. When you're there, you're not bored. Like, I'm just a little bored with life, maybe, you know. You're not, you're not like overly discouraged. You're not, you're not because you're, you're not like, man, I can't do this. You're, you are, you are stretched but you're also encouraged and, and you are energized, right? There is a worthwhile challenge in front of you worth engaging and pushing into, but the wind at your back is greater than the wind in your face. There is an energy, there is an encouragement, there is a stretching. This is the dynamic place where we are growing we're getting stronger. We're changing. We're being transformed. We're filled with joy. We, we can best see the hope of our future, and we are least contained by the limitations we see around us. Can you remember a time when you were here in your Christian life? Can you remember a time when you were right there, right there in that sweet spot? I mean, I can, I can think of probably half a dozen off the top of my head in my Christian life over the last 30 years. Uh, I remember probably the first, and it was one of the most profound because it took me so off guard. It was, we, I had been married. It was my first year of marriage. We lived in San Diego. I'd been a believer for four years. Um, I was doing my senior year of college, uh, so I was taking 18 units. Um, I had started and was running my own landscaping business. Those two things should never be, di- be done at the same time. Um, but I had a business that I was running and building, and I had a and I was a brand new husband, and I didn't even know, man, I was so broken and emotionally immature, man. I didn't even know how to be loved, let alone love. And so, so I was being challenged on every front. I was challenged in school. I was challenged with this crazy new business that I was running. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I remember being stuck. I'm coming home after a long day, and, and I'm in my Volkswagen van. That's why my hands are like this, because it's a, I'm driving my Volkswagen van. That was my landscaping truck. Um, I had converted it, had all my equipment in the back, and I'm stuck in traffic in San Diego. And I just want to get home. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like, what have I gotten myself into? Right? Like, there's so much going on. And I'm being stretched and pulled in every direction. And, and, and I decide while I'm sitting there in the traffic. I mean, I just, I didn't know very many hymns at that point. I mean, I was a brand new believer and I wasn't raised with them. And, and I remember I just, I had the words of one started coming to my mind. And so I started singing them as I'm sitting there in the van, and, and, and this weird thing happened. As I started singing those words, it refocused my attention on the grace of God. And as it refocused my attention on the grace of God, man, it, I suddenly had this overwhelming experience of gratitude well up in me. 
Like, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. And I start weeping, right? San Diego traffic. I'm up there in my Volkswagen van. People are like, I'm, I'm all right. You know, but I'm just like, it is just coming out because I am being stretched into the growth zone and I am being encouraged by the grace of God and I am being strengthened by this overwhelming gratitude and suddenly life is not overwhelming. It's exactly as it should be. Right? Flash forward a number of years. I remember a number, another time I'm, I, am, I am in my bedroom and I've just had conflict with one of my kids. And it's, it was at that stage where my kids were moving into adulthood where I'm shifting from controlled influence, which is a really hard transition in, in, in any parent's life. And, and, and I'm, I'm in this place where I've just had conflict. And, and, and I am so frustrated because parenting is taking more from me than I know how to give. I'm realizing that, that, that this is above my pay grade. I don't know how to do what I'm being asked to do I don't know how to be the father my child needs me to be. And, and my child is going to be moving out, making choices that I can't control, and I am desperately afraid of the direction their choices are going to take them and what they're going to do with their life. And, and I am powerless, and I am sitting in my room literally hitting my head on the headboard because of the limitations of my own lack of wisdom and strength and emotion maturity and and I'm regretting things I've said and I'm frustrated because I don't even know what to say. And while I'm beating my head against the headboard, a quiet voice comes in and says, do you remember that I love you? I'm like, yes, I know you love me, but my kids, I can't do this. Do you know that I love them? Yeah, I know you love my kids. Do you know that I love them more than you love them? I do know that. Do you trust me? I do. Like, do you trust me where you fall short and you need grace? Do you trust me in your limitations? Do you trust that I will do what you can't do? Do you trust that I will be for them what you can't be? Do you trust your children with me? And in that moment, I have this profound experience where I go from being desperate and angry and, and full of sorrow to suddenly I have this overwhelming experience of gratitude that the grace of God is meeting me in my limitation and will do what I can't do and be what I can't be. And God will take care of my kids in ways I can't. And what end started is me beating my head against the board ended with me weeping on the floor. Flash forward a couple more years and I'm starting Trailhead Church. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the 9 a.m. service. But if you have, I guarantee you weren't there at 9 a.m. Because very few people are. Right? And so it is at the very beginning of the church. It's the 9 a.m. service. And, and I'm feeling all this insecurity, man. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I had been putting in 70-hour weeks. I, I had been stretched in every way I could be stretched. This is the most challenging thing God has ever asked me to do and I have never felt more inadequate. And I'm standing back there getting ready to preach a sermon. And I look up and there's one person in the room. And I'm like, don't look. Don't, it's 9 a.m. Don't look. So we get to the end of the first song. I look up and there's like three. And I'm like, this is it. We're dead. We're dead. Right? And in that moment, 
Somebody once said to me, and, and this is a conversation, but, but somebody once said when I was talking to them about my dream of planting a church and I felt like God was leading me to do it, they're like, why do you think anybody would show up and listen to you? And that came back to my head. Like it's a little voice of condemnation. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm fighting it. Like I'm, People aren't here to listen to me. They're here to listen to the gospel. I'm opening the Bible. People aren't here for Steve. People are here because, because of the word of God and because the spirit is present because God is going to do something here, right? And I'm fighting this in my head and I'm, I'm wrestling with it. And yet at the whole time, I'm starting to feel more and more exhausted because I am physically and emotionally exhausted. I'm starting to feel frustrated. And I'm like, I still have to get up there and preach. I got to get up there and act like everything's great. Lord, what, what? And the voice came. And that voice said, do you know I love you? I'm like, yeah, I, I know you love me. Do you know I'm for you? I know you're for me. Do you believe that I called you to do this? Yeah, I believe you did. So you really just need to be obedient, right? Will you be obedient? Yeah, I'll, I'll be obedient. Good, because I'll take care of the rest. I didn't call you to, to build the church. I called you to preach the gospel. I will build my church. And I have this overwhelming sense of the power and the presence of God, the grace of God, and welling up within me as a gratitude that I don't have to be everything people want me to be. I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to be witty or smart or insightful. All I have to do is open up the Bible and preach the gospel. And God will take care of the rest. He will build his church. And even if I fail, I don't fail Because God called me to be obedient, not successful. God called me to submit and follow, not build something great for him. He's going to build anything that comes out of it. I just need, that allowed me in that moment to find such peace. And it allowed me to get up to preach to a very small group and to do it with joy. Like I didn't have to fake anything. Are you tracking with me? It's in those spaces where we are being stretched out of our comfort zone. And it is so hard to be there. And because of it, man, it reawakens the disruptive experience of the grace of God. The grace of God has to come in, disrupt the self-talk, and disrupt the negative stuff, and and disrupt the, the feelings of failure and inadequacy and shame and guilt. The grace of God disrupts it with a very simple message. I love you. I'm for you. I've redeemed you which awakens within us a faith that wells up in gratitude. And in that space, you are are challenged, encouraged, and energized. You guys, there is no better experience in the world than being right there. Knowing you have a worthwhile challenge in front of you, that you are absolutely fully loved in the midst of it and completely energized by the grace, the presence, the Spirit of God. That is the place where we grow and we do it joyfully. That is the place where we move boldly in faith. See, we know that. The problem is staying there, isn't it? Isn't that a tiny little dot, right? Right in the middle? It's like really hard to stay there, right? It's really hard because what ends up happening is is we just so easily run back to our performance or we run back to our pleasures or we run back to our self-glories. We pull back from growth because, because it hurts and, and we're filled with fear or, or self-protection. We, we grow cold to grace. We start talking about the love of God and actually, instead of actually experiencing the love of God. We get used to talking about Jesus instead of actually relating to Jesus. We start to feel entitled. 
And there's nothing that'll kill our gratitude faster than entitlement. I feel entitled to comfort. Calgon, take me away. I deserve this. And what ends up happening is our joy shrinks and it gets harder and harder to engage spiritually. And, and I've said, and I'm sure you've said at certain points, man, I just I can't even read the Bible. It's like chewing sawdust. Because our hearts get shriveled and cold and unresponsive to the initiating love of God. So the question is, how do we stay there? How do we stay in that little dot? Right? How do we stay there? Well, the answer is always the same. And you should already know it. The only way to stay there is to once again lead ourselves to the disruptive grace of God. We need to fill our vision with a God who loves us. We need to lead our hearts back to the cross where, where we can see our Savior loving us in such tangible, powerful way that it melts our pride, that it lifts our shame, and it allows us to stand in the strength of humility. Right? That, that's the only way. But here's the thing. This is, the Bible calls this a spiritual battle. Right? This is a spiritual war. This is not easy. Right? It is not easy. And like all wars, there are smart ways to wage war and dumb ways to wage war. Right? And so what I want to do for the rest of the series, so this is like the transition point. Um, we're kind of ending invitation to more, which was the unpacking of the model. And we're now moving on to the invitation of more, more, okay? Which, which is really, we're going to spend the next um, four weeks, five weeks, five weeks looking at force matters in the Christian life. Ways that we can wage war spiritual war on our hearts intelligently. Military science came up with this concept called force multipliers. If you studied uh, military strategy, I'm sure you studied this, um, on it, but I find it a compelling idea that, that in warfare, there are things around you in the natural environment that can actually increase the effectiveness of, of your force. Right? They don't actually increase your force. They don't give you any more weapons. But by paying attention to your environment, you can actually find force multipliers around you. They actually make your effort more successful. Right? So if you find a hill and you move to the top of the hill, it's a force multiplier. Right? It increases the effectiveness of your force. If you're in a field and you find a ravine, that is a force multiplier. It increases the effectiveness of your force. If you're moving through an area and you find a cluster of trees that hides your numbers and allows you to get some cover, that's a force multiplier. There are force multipliers in the Christian life. And as we seek to engage the, the 3G model to grow in grace, gratitude, and growth, there are things in the landscape that, that we can engage intelligently that will help us engage grace in, in a powerful way. All right, so the early church knew this, right? We just read Acts chapter 2, which is an incredible passage about the early church. They knew this. They were passionate about their new faith. They were experiencing the three G's, man. When you read through that, they are challenged, they are encouraged, and they are energized, right? I mean, it is, it is, it is an incredible picture of, of transformative living, right? But there's nothing about their experience that makes sense, right? We read over this and we're like, oh, that was great, you know. But think about what it was actually like, you guys. Um, they grew within weeks from a core group of 12 apostles to 12,000 believers in a matter of weeks, right? At the very place, at the very time Jesus was raised from the dead, which I challenge you to find any other explanation for that other than the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. At the very place, at the very time, they went from 12 apostles to 12,000 believers. 
And it was a powerful witness because everyone there was like, go look. The grave is empty, and here are the list of people that have seen the risen Christ. Go talk to them. Interview them, right? And they did. And there was this overwhelming response of faith. And for us, we're like Americans. We're like, that sounds awesome, bigger, better. You know what it really was? It was chaos. It was chaos, right? Because all of these people came to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, which meant there were a lot of people traveling from abroad. They all came and they became believers there. And once they became believers there, they decided to stay there because this was their new community of faith. There was nobody at home to believe this. They were in this new community of faith. Jesus had said, I'm going to come back. And they believed in the imminent return of Jesus. And so they're like, he can come back at any time. So why would I go home? I want to stay with this new community of believers. And so these people stayed. They had a new faith, a new community, and, and that meant they, ne- they needed housing and they needed food, right? Have you ever opened up your home to somebody in need? As an act of generosity, as an act of love, and, and a couple days turned into a couple weeks, and a couple weeks turned into a couple months. You ever been there? Right? It'll stretch you. It's hard, right? Benjamin Franklin said, fish and visitors stink in three days, Right? That's because it's hard. You know why? Because it disrupts every rhythm of the home. You no longer have the privacy you used to have. You, you can't just walk around the house in your underwear, right? You got to you gotta like get dressed and you got to like get your hair did before you walk down to the kitchen. You got you to gotta, you gotta take care of not just your needs, but their needs. You have to not only feed yourself, but you have to feed them. You, you not only have to, all of a sudden you have to take turns at the washing machine. All of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? Like it disrupts every rhythm of the home. These folks were seeing more and more believers come into the community. And they had to give up privacy and convenience. Not only that, they had to provide for these folks. So it says they actually sold their possessions. There were people that had land in their family that was handed down from their father's 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 father. And they sold it. They had treasures, personal possessions. They sold and they brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet because there were people in their community that were hungry. And they were, they were more concerned with feeding the hungry people in their community than they were with protecting their own personal wealth. Because Jesus was coming back. He can come back in any minute, right? What good is this land going to do me? Uh, so there was this incredible outpouring of, of generosity. People were sacrificing and giving up. Man, they had heard the incredible message of grace and that Jesus had just risen from the dead and this disruptive experience of grace came in and, 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 and undid their hearts and they believed it and they were overwhelmed with humility and joy which filled them with gratitude so much so that it formed this incredible new community and it forced the entire community into the growth zone. The people that were giving up space to allow people to live there and the people that weren't going home, right? Everybody was sacrificing. And you know what they were known for in the community? This crazy, crazy group of people that were making these crazy, crazy sacrifices, you know what they were known for? Their joy. Which is why they kept growing. Because people were looking at them going, this doesn't make sense. Poverty plus joy equals generosity. This math doesn't make sense. You got something I don't got. Your experience in this community is giving you something that all of my wealth, all of my protection, all of my success is not giving me. I want some of that. And so the community kept growing. They were in the sweet spot, you guys. 
you have to know they were challenged. You have to know it was hard. There was a social cost in the new faith. There was a personal cost of opening up their homes. Uh, there was the personal cost of not going home. There was the economic cost of selling their treasures to feed strangers who were now their family. They were challenged. They were encouraged. They were energized. They were at the heart of the three G's. Now, here's the thing, you guys. I don't think we can recreate their experience. Nor do I really want to. I don't want you selling your stuff to come move in with me. And I don't want to sell my house to come move in with you. Okay? This was a unique experience. They did what they had to do. Right? I don't think we should pursue recreating it. But we should pursue what enabled them to do it. Like, we can't recreate that community experience. But we can push in to what made it possible. We can become a transformative community. A community that is experiencing these three things in such a way that people in the world are looking at us and saying, holy cow, what makes them so different? There's something there that is real and different and incredibly attractive. And in this passage, we're told what the force multipliers were that they leaned into, right? So if you look at verse 42, right? Verse 41, man, they 3,000 people baptized in a day. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves. So there's, that means there were rhythms and practices that they pushed into. There were things that they knew they had to push into to actually stay in this growth zone, to stay in this sweet spot, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers And then down to verse 46, and day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. There are five things, five rhythms, five practices that the early church devoted themselves to that were force multipliers and enabled them to experience grace in a greater and greater and greater degree. So over the next five weeks, we're going to unpack these. We're going to look at how they help us grow, how they push us not only into the growth zone, but how they keep us there. Right? They don't just move us into these areas of discomfort. They give us the, the tailwind that allows us to overcome that discomfort. It, it, they are the things that give us the faith and strengthen our faith and free that faith so that we can actually grow and become the people God has created us to be. So that's where we're going. Starting next week. Today, as we wrap up, I want to let you know that we're going to be having some baptisms. Um, Baptism is an important part of discipleship, right? We read uh, Matthew 28 at the beginning of of the sermon. And in Matthew 28, we looked at how um, Jesus said, I I want you to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism, uh, the word baptizo literally means to immerse, to put under, right? So baptism is a symbol of a spiritual reality, right? Because Jesus died, buried, and was raised again, we we take people and we, we, we bury them in the water, right? We put them under the water. And if I hold you there long enough, you're going to meet Jesus very quickly. Right? But I'm not going to do that. I will pull you back out because Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And so the full symbolism is you go into the death of Christ and you're raised a new creature, right? You're being baptized. So it is a celebration, uh, not of your work for Jesus, but of Jesus' work for you. The fact that, that, that you're no longer defined by who you were and what you did. You're now defined by who he was and what he did. His resurrection is your life. His righteousness is your righteousness, right? And, and so it is, it is a declaration of faith where people say, man, this is, I believed in Jesus and I have a new identity in Jesus. But it is also a celebration. It is a renaming ceremony. 
Matthew 28 says that they are to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, weird stuff. One name, three people, the whole Trinitarian concept of God. Um, Three who's, one what. It's the best way I can explain it. Three who's, one what. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, right? I can't unpack it a whole lot more than that because it'll just make your head hurt, right? But God has revealed himself in this great mystery we call the Trinity, Um, three persons, one God. And so you're baptized into one name. It's not the names, it is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means that you have a threefold identity, right? You are a son or a daughter of God now. Because you are covered in the very righteousness of Christ, you've been adopted into the family. You are fully at the family, man. You you have a place at the table of grace. You have a place in the kingdom. You have a place in God's house, in his kingdom, and in his future because Christ has covered you, right? You're baptized in the name of the Father. You're baptized in the name of the Son, which means you are baptized in the name of of this servant leader, right? This great hero. He is your co laborer and, 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 and your, your friend. You're baptized in the name of the Son and into the humility of servant leadership alongside him. You're baptized in the name of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who sends and empowers. He is the Spirit of mission, right? He is the one that empowers the gospel. He is the one that gives us new life. He is the one that, that makes the gospel uh, um, powerful as we proclaim it. He is the one who sends the message of the gospel into the world. So you're a sent one. You're being baptized in the name of the Spirit, right? It is, a, it is a threefold identity. You're being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is a celebration of a, a renaming ceremony, right? You have a new name. You have a new identity because of Christ's work for you. So baptism is a huge celebration. It is a declaration of faith, but it's also a huge celebration of new identity in Christ. And I want to give you guys an invitation. If you've believed in Jesus, but you haven't been dunked, you can do it today. If you have believed in Jesus and you haven't been dunked, you can do it today. Right? Jesus said this would be the first act of submission in the Christian life. Go make disciples and baptize them. He intended this to be something that, they, that people did very early in the Christian life. Even if you haven't done it very early in your Christian life, when's the best time to obey? It's always now, right? It doesn't matter if you haven't done Now is the best time to obey. Jesus said, I want you to do this. If you believed in me, I want, you to be, I want you to be dunked. I want you to declare your faith in this symbolic way, but I also want you to celebrate your new identity in me in this powerful way, right? So listen, if, if, if you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been dunked, you can, you can do this, right? Now don't worry, we've, we've thought about this, right? You're like, Steve, I don't want to go home wet. I know, I know. So we got clothes for you right? We got, we got, we even got the unmentionables, right? It's all cool. And they're new. We don't even recycle them. You get a free pair of underwear, right? So that's awesome, right? So, so you get to come here dry, you get dunked, and you go home dry, right? Some of you are like, Steve, I'm, I'm not a member here. I'm not sure I want to be a member here. That's fine. I'm not sure I want you to be a member here. But you don't have to be a member of Trailhead Church to be baptized. You have to be a member of the church, you have to be a believer in Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, it doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is, this is as good as a, uh, you know, Nathan was, was, you can be baptized in any body of water where you can be dipped in, right? All you have to do is be a believer in Jesus. You don't have to be a member of Trailhead Church. And you're not becoming a member of Trailhead Church by being baptized. You're simply declaring your faith in Jesus and your new identity in Christ, right? So, 
So you can do this. You can be baptized. Some of you are like, yeah, but what are people going to think? Yeah, that's the wrong question. We don't do this for what people think. We do this because the God who paid such a great price to redeem us and restore us says, do it. And we submit, not because of what people think, but because of what he thinks. He initiates in love, we respond in obedience. So listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, really, if you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been dunked, if the Spirit of God right now is doing that thing in your heart, you know, that little thing that you hate, that's like convicting you and kind of pushing you and being like, hey, maybe you should do this thing. Don't be like Jello being nailed to the wall, right? Trying to avoid the, you know, don't, don't, right? Just let it land, man. Let the conviction land and listen. Because the Spirit of God is not convicting you to do anything that won't give you life. The Spirit of God never invites us into anything that it will not unleash blessing in our life. When we submit in areas of discomfort, we grow. This is a growth opportunity. So if, if you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, what I need you to do is, is right after communion, I want you to go to Connection Point. And um, Dan Free will be there, one of our elders. And, uh, and we're, gonna, we're just going to, you know, we're going to make sure that, that you understand baptism, you understand what it's about and why we're doing it. If you have any questions, we're going to help answer those. If, if we think it requires more discussion, then, then it's going to be all cool. We're just going to be like, great, let's have further discussions. We can always come back to this. But, but if we're like, no, this is great, man, we agree this should happen right now, we got everything set up. All we need you to do is, is again, step out in faith right? Go to Connection Point and, and speak to Dan. And if there's a bunch of people there signing up for Compassion International, which I hope there are, that would be awesome. Um, but you just raise your hand and move to the front of the line, okay? Because we're going to be baptizing people right after the service, and, and you want to be in on this, right? So, so don't use the excuse, oh, well, the line was so long, I never got to the front. No, just get up to the front, okay? Just do that. All right, let me pray for us. I'm going to ask everyone else, after communion, after the final song, please stay. Um, we're going to have baptisms, and, and, and this is a family celebration, and so I'm, I'm, I would love for you to stay and celebrate with us. I would love for you to, to, to be part of the joy. Okay, so let me pray for us. Um, we'll go into communion, and, um, and then um, after that, we will, we'll, we'll celebrate with some baptisms. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are such a good and gracious God, that you give us what we don't deserve, and you don't give us what we do deserve. That in Christ there is a never-ending invitation to more. That, you, that you've done all the work, you've paid the price, you, you initiate toward us in love, and the only thing you ask for us in response is trust. That we would have faith, that we would believe that you are who you said you are, you've done what you've said you've done. And in that faith, to discover all the blessings that come with Christ. You are a faithful, good Father. An incredible God of love and mercy. Spirit, will you awaken our hearts to the power of that love? Will you undo our pride? Will you set us free into the strength of humility that, that we might, with joy, walk in the power and the joy and the freedom and the dignity of those who are loved by a holy God. 
Spirit, do what you, only you can do. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.